hands here for Sam Breen. Come on. What a wonderful time of worship this morning. And that phrase, just choose Jesus. Yes, Jesus. It's just kind of reverberating through my imagination right now, hoping that it finds itself embodied in every time, in every season, in every up, in every down, in every circumstance, in lack and in plenty, that I and that we would be people who choose Jesus, who say yes to Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing for that to be what marks our life, for that to be the the center of our lives, the orientation of our lives, the, the direction of our lives, the purpose of our lives to be a people who choose Jesus all the time. When we understand, when we don't understand, when we have answers and there are no answers, when we have words and every word falls short, that there's just a yes, Jesus, as the overflow of our heart. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't that be a beautiful way to live life? Okay, amen. So we're starting a new series this morning. We're gonna start a new series. We're gonna start a series called Tabernacle. And I wanna start with what we're going after. And when I say what we're going after, when I say what we, what does that mean? I don't, I don't mean me or, or our communication team or our staff or our board. When I say what are we going after in this series, I mean all of us. I mean any of us who sort of include themselves in the, the company of believers, the, the, this community of faith that we call Grace Midtown, what are we going after together? Because I can't make it happen. Sam can't make it happen. Caroline can't make it happen. The other pastors on our staff can't make it happen. But all of us can position ourselves in a way to participate in what God has for us if we go after it together. So this is what we're going after in this series. Our hope is that we would become awake to God in ways that we're more worshipful people, a more worshipful community, that we're awake to the presence of God in new ways, in fresh ways, in healing ways, in powerful ways, in ways that impact our rising and our going down to sleep at night, that we would be awake to God who dwells with us and among us, that we'd be awake to the presence of God. More and more and more and more, on and on and on into into eternity, amen? And so this Tabernacle series, the next eight weeks, would you join me and join us? Would we join together as a people who go, What would it look like for us to again hunger for the presence of God, to again desire the presence of God as the priority of our life, to again orient our whole lives, all our decision making, everything we are, everything that we do around the worship of God? Would you join me in that? Amen? All right, tabernacle. So how did we get here? How did we get here? So in the creation story, what we see is God creates Adam and Eve and they're in a garden and God communicates with them in a garden, walks with them 
in the cool of the day, is in relationship with them. God is dwelling with humanity, and humanity is dwelling with God in the garden. And something happens in that garden, and humanity finds itself exiled from the garden in a wilderness of life, we might be able to say. And through the Hebrew scriptures, we sort of see these stories of how humanity develops in relationship to and with God. And so we see these stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see the formation of covenant. We see the start of the Israelite people. We find ourselves then in the story of Joseph. And Joseph finds himself in Egypt. And then the ancestors of Joseph find themselves enslaved in Egypt, longing for home, enslaved in Egypt, longing for a place to worship, enslaved in Egypt. And then as we know, this person, Moses, emerges on the scene, finds himself confronting the powers of Pharaoh in Egypt to liberate the people of God, that they might go and what? Worship. Isn't that amazing that, that what God does in liberation, that the first response is worship? Let my people go that they might what? Worship. We are created to worship God, made to be in relationship to God in this way. We have been liberated from the enslavement of the powers of sin and death that we could freely offer our lives in worship to God. And so Moses liberates the people of Israel and he, he finds himself in the wilderness again, a true sort of wilderness, the desert. And we know they wander this desert for 40-ish years. And while they're in on the front end of this whole thing, God speaks to Moses about some things that are, that are crucial, that are central to the people of God. Of course, what we're so familiar with is he gets what we call the Ten Commandments, right? Moses travels up this mountain. God invites Moses up this mountain, and he gets these tablets, the Ten Commandments, but you know, there's something else that happens in that conversation. God gives Moses plans for something else. And it's this, a tabernacle. Make for me a tabernacle. Make for me a place to dwell. Make for me a place in the very center of your community where worship can happen, where I can be with my people and my people can be with me, that there's a relational solidarity there. And so what we wanna do over the next couple months is go through some of this tabernacle text and ask ourselves, what might a tent? Because really that's what it is, especially to us as modern people. This isn't real fancy stuff for those of us, fancy then and there. But by our standards, probably not that fancy. Beautiful for sure. Some of the descriptions a little gaudy, maybe, depending on your taste. 
But what does this simple little tent in the middle of this wilderness community, walking in circles, have you ever felt like you're just walking in circles in your life? Walking in circles in the wilderness. A place they're not supposed to be. We know they're journeying from one place to another. What's a word for that? Transience. What's a little simple tent to, to transient wilderness people mean to folks like us living in a transient city like Atlanta? What does the presence of God at the center of our lives and communities and families mean for folks like us living in modern transient Atlanta? What does a tent in the wilderness, the presence of God, the worship of God, a place, a physical space mean for folks like us who gather in a real physical space on a somewhat regular basis, some of us more than others, on Sunday mornings, what does that mean for us? I think it means something. It's gotta mean something, right? Like, it, like God put it in the scriptures for a reason. We're gonna explore that. So what does it mean for us? I'm excited to get into it. So if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. Moses is up this mountain This is amazing, by the way. He goes up this mountain. It's kind of a scary scene. We've got fire. We've got clouds. You know what's amazing to me about this? It's like this off, I'm not, this isn't in my notes or anything, but they eat a meal with God. Like Moses goes up with some some other leaders and they eat with God. Isn't that cool? From a distance, it's fire and cloud and noise and scary but the more proximate you get to God, what you see and experience is it's a shared meal. This is who God is. The God who's sharing a meal with God's people is now having a conversation. And this this is what the Lord said. So Exodus 25, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to take for me an offering from all whose hearts prompt them to give, you shall receive the offering for me. This is the offering you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and gems to be set in the ephod and for the breastplate. So God's opening an Etsy store. Verse eight, and have them make a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them in accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, you shall make it. This is the word of the Lord. And it all matters, doesn't it? Love it. Goat skin. Tanned rams skins. I mean, I don't even know what this stuff is. Acacia wood, it sounds cool. Onyx stones. Okay, anyway, so what I want to do is, I, I, is 
there's a lot in here, and in this series, they're, they're in these texts that we're gonna go over, there's so much detail, and that matters, by the way, that there's so much detail, but we're not gonna be able to cover it all, so if, if, if you would forgive us for that, we just won't be able to, so we're just gonna highlight some themes, like if we would just, sort of, you know how like sometimes when you're reading the scripture, it's, you're interrupted by a word or a phrase that, that ever happened to you, you're reading a chapter, or you're reading a psalm, and, and it's like, whoa, and it's like just that word or that phrase kind of pierces your soul. Well, that's, that's how we're gonna kind of approach this series because we just can't get through all of it. And so there's, there's three lines here that I hope interrupt us this morning, and they certainly interrupted me as I was reading through this text. And it's, it's these three, take an offering, make me a sanctuary, and according to the pattern. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. Take an offering, Make me a sanctuary and according to the pattern. So let's look at this first. Take an offering. I love this, but you know what this is? This is, this is like, this is scary. This is take an offering, so I'm gonna talk about money, which means we're gonna feel all kinds of things. I'm a pastoral care pastor, so I'm comfortable with all the discomfort that all of us feel. So, just please be as uncomfortable as you need to be. I'm okay. And I don't need you to be okay for me to be okay. Amen, come on. Someone needed to hear that about their family life. All right, anyway, where am I going with this? We're gonna talk about money. What's so interesting, I think this is so important for us to pick up on though. These are wilderness people. That means they don't have a lot of resources and there are not readily available resources for them. When they were liberated from the enslavement of Egypt, Egypt, it seems like, made some reparations and gave them a whole bunch of stuff on their way out. They're carrying a bunch of stuff, some gold, some silver, some bronze, some skins, some yarn, some stones, the kinds of things that have value in their culture. The kinds of things that like for any of us, value brings a sense of what? Security. This is what we are standing on to help us get through when life is hard, right? So these are wilderness people. If you've ever watched one of those shows, Food matters, water matters. So for wilderness people, the resources to acquire those things matter. Of course, what's really interesting when you watch these survival shows is what else matters is you build a what? Shelter. Yes, and a fire. And by the way, this thing has a fire. It does, and the fire should never go out. It's in Leviticus, right? We'll get there. There's some priests that are gonna tend to the fire and their whole job is that it never goes out. You build a fire and you build a shelter when you're trying to survive in the wilderness. But it can be a little counterintuitive if what it requires of us is to take the sort of resources we have and to freely freely give them to build something that's for an invisible God. And how many of you know, we so often feel that way. Can we just be honest? I mean, we feel that way. Like, why would I give my best of fill in the blank to a God that I can't see or feel 
or hear or experience or doesn't seem to be coming through in my life the ways I would demand this God to come through in my life. Like, why would I do that? This is amazing. Like, they are being asked to do something that's hard and challenging. But God calls us, and this is why generosity is so important. This is why giving is so important. And I would submit to us, this is why I think even the 90-day tithe challenge is so important. Because God is calling us to a sufficiency other than our own. God is calling us to trust in something beyond our own ability to acquire and manage resource. God is asking us to stop living like practical atheists who name God with the words of our mouth but make every decision as if God doesn't exist or show up or do any of the things that God promises to do. And by the way, this is how so many of us live our lives. We, we confess God with our mouth, but our actions are couched with our own sufficiencies, our own abilities, our own sort of know-how to acquire and manage our own resources, whatever they may be. And yet from the very start in the wilderness where there's nothing, God is going I want you to take an offering. I want you to give the best of what you have to worship me that I might dwell with you to show that there is no question around who you trust. That you've put all your eggs in the God or bust basket. Have you ever found yourself in that place in your life where you're just going, I'm going all in with God. Like God shows up or this thing's a train wreck. God shows up or I leave embarrassed. God shows up or we're broke. God shows up or that dream doesn't happen. God, it's God's sufficiency, not our own. Now, I'm not saying we should be immature with money or mismanage our finances or any of those kinds of things. The, 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 the full scope of scripture offers so much wisdom around that. We want to be good stewards of what we have and we wanna take care of what we have. But what's going on here? Again, it's a, it's a sufficiency other than our own, and God is asking us to reorient our priorities around worship. That the wisdom of God is to reorient your life and your priorities around worship. There's no mistake here that the generosity of the people, the giving of the people, the offering that the people are making is about an orientation around worship. They're not building storehouses for the winter with their resources. They're not building a shelter that they can all huddle up in when it gets hard. They're building a tent that they can worship. This isn't efficient. This isn't the wisdom of men. This is the realigning of priorities around worship. And I wonder for us if the question that we could grapple with this morning is how many of us need to realign some of the priorities in our life? Like where have we had some priority drift, some value drift? Where have good things found the primary place in our life? And we find that the worship of God, sure, it's still on the list, 
but it's down on the list. And we might consider it, but it's not the first thing that we're considering. It's not the first lens we're running the decision through. And I don't know what that is for you. I'm, I'm thinking about myself. I'm not going to share them, but I, I've just been thinking this week, like where have I experienced drift in my own life that this thing I would tell you if you sat down with a coffee with me is the primary thing in my life to make decisions around, worship of God. And yet, if I were to start showing you the decisions I make and how I make them, you could call into question if that's really what I value. It's kind of like when I do premarital and I'm like, hey, let's talk about what you value and we get to money and people say, well, we value saving. I say, oh, that's such a good value. How much have you saved? Like $10. I'm like, well, did you start this morning? (laughs) No. Okay, you have an aspirational value and it's a good one and there's people that can really help you get there. I'm a pastor, I can't but I know some people. But you don't value it, right? Like if, if, if the embodied decisions of our, or if the decisions of our life aren't embodied, do we value it? I don't know. I don't think we do. I think, we've, our, I think what we do, the, the things that we embody show what we value. And so where might we, even as a community, can I, can, I, can I confront us with that as a community? Where might we need to change some priorities to reorient the decisions of our life, the way they're embodied? In other words, the way we live them out with our hands and feet, the way we put them to action, like, where might we have to reorient some stuff? Even in a time of scarcity, there's real scarcity here. Scarcity's real. Some of us want to live in a world like there's no scarcity. There's scarcity. Resources are limited. There's real scarcity here. The question is, do we trust God to provide? And then there's an old saying that I like, and I, I was just thinking of it this morning, and I'm sure... I could Google the quote, but so this isn't me, but there's real scarcity. But here's the other side of that coin, though, when we talk about trusting God and trusting God's way, specifically with our money, generally with generosity and hospitality, prioritizing worship as the center of our lives. Here's what I think is true about God. There's not enough, right? So there's scarcity. There's not enough for everyone's greed. There is enough for everyone's need. And when we prioritize worship and we allow that worship to connect to our giving, to our generosity, to our resources, and there's an overflow that that we can be responsive to the promptings of God to give when we need to give and to give what we need to give, when we take those things seriously as spiritual sort of promptings, we find ourselves living in communities of faith. We're sure there's not enough for my greed or your greed, but there is enough for every one of us to have what we need. 
And we know this. I mean, we live in a world where like two or three white men own most of the money in the world. It's like, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but you know, not too much, right? And we know this. They have so much more than anyone could ever need. And so many in the world go without what they could ever need. And yet, God at the center says no to greed. By the way, I'm just gonna say this. Venerating the greed of billionaires is a sin the church needs to repent of. We're like in love with these folks sometimes. And we need to repent. Because God's after something different than a few people hoarding all the stuff. And we'll see this through this story in other profound ways. Is this okay? This will be my last point on taking offering because I've already taken more time on this than I thought I would. Because we're in this 90-day tithe challenge, right? And we've kind of made it clear this isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't quid pro quo. This isn't like you, you put your dollars into a, into a vending machine and get exactly what you want. Your wildest financial fantasies don't come true because of this. It's not, you're not gambling. This isn't like a slot machine. I put my 10% in and hope it kicks back like, you know, the jackpot. It's not that. And I wanna say this, because I know some of us were uncomfortable even with kind of some of the things that we've asked God to do as we give 10%, as we give generously back to God what God has given to us, as we ask God for the, the doors and the windows of our homes to be open to receive the blessing of God. I would wanna say this, that when we put God at the center, you can expect the unusual and unexpected. Like there will be unusual and unexpected meeting of your need, provision of resource in your life as we trust God. We see this through the story of scripture, don't we? For the Israelites, it will look like waking up in the morning and there will be enough bread on the ground for everyone in the community. They don't know where it comes from. They just know it's there and you take what you what? Need. For what? the day, our daily bread. But that's unusual and unexpected, isn't it? It looks like the prophets who tell widows, just keep pouring the oil out of this jar and fill up all the other jars you can with this jar. Unusual, unexpected provision. For the disciples of Jesus, it looked like paying our taxes with a fish who had a coin in its mouth. So it would just also nudge us this isn't prosperity gospel, amen. Are we open to the unusual and unexpected provision of God? Is our heart open to receive? Are our eyes open to how is God doing this thing? Because when it's a sufficiency other than our own, it might not be met in the ways that we or the world would meet. Amen? One last point, by the way, on this. I do wanna say this. We don't give because of what we'll get. We give because God's worthy of our gift. 
And we give to one another, not because of however we judge one another. Actually, I love this in the New Testament. It says, Paul says, we, hold, we behold each other no more by the flesh, but by the spirit. We're generous to one another based on the value that we see in one another and that God has for each of us. So our generosity and our offering to build this sanctuary where God would dwell isn't about what we would get. It's about who's worthy of the gift. Amen? Make me a sanctuary, the other phrase. So what, what's God saying here? Hey, build me a tabernacle or build me a, a dwelling place. Build me a portable dwelling place, a tent that can travel with you, a place where I can dwell. And we're gonna get more into that in a future week. So I don't wanna get too much more into that. But I do wanna say that what we're gonna see here is a lot of detail and that God cares about the details. So when, when we read this like, make me a sanctuary, make me a place where I can dwell, make me this place where I live with you and you live with me, what we see is that within that, God cares about the details. And that matters because this other phrase that I wanna talk about is according to the pattern. Like God has a pattern for the human life. And that, that God cares about the details of that human life. And so God does care what we do with our life and how we live our life and the decisions that we make. God sees those things and cares about those things. There's a, there's a pattern. But I wanna say this about the pattern that, that I don't know that God is concerned about what we do in the same ways that we're concerned about what we do. Like I think so much of our concern about what we do is the status and security that comes with what we do. And God's not affording you or ascribing to you status and security based upon what you do. God cares about what you do in the details of your life because it's in your heart to come alive when you do those things. And you alive glorifies God, which is an act of worship. It's us giving fully what we are back to God in a way that glorifies God, it's worship. This is why the details matter. But the details don't matter because if I'm this if I do this as a job, I have more status and value in the eyes of God. That's, that's not what's happening there. Although how many of us live that way? Like we just have certain kinds of work that we think are more valuable and make us more valuable than other kinds of work and other kinds of people. Amen? So it matters, we give because of the worth and the value of who God is and who we are, made in the image of God. And that the details of our life matter because we come alive when we live in those things and that aliveness, man alive, glorifies God. One of the church fathers said that. Lastly, according to the pattern, according to the pattern. So in this text, I wanna just offer three or four things that I think God is offering for us to sort of make a pattern, to shape our lives after. Would that be okay? Five more minutes. So according to the pattern, we've talked a ton about this, but build a life of worship. What if today we started giving ourselves to what does it look like for me to shape my life in the pattern of worship? 
to honor God with all that I am and all that I do. To orient the priorities of my life towards God and God's glory with a thankful heart. I think that's a pretty good definition of worship. To orient the priorities of my life in a way that it honors and glorifies God with a thankful heart. Could Grace Midtown be a community that would orient itself around the shape of worship, to be a worshiping people, to honor God, to have affection for God, for the, for the desire of our heart to be to love God and to know God. By the way, one of the things I love in this text when it, when it speaks of worship is this, it says, take an offering from anyone whose heart prompts them because when we're talking about worship, it's about your heart prompting you. God's not legislating worship. God wants worship to be the overflow of the desire of your heart back towards God. Is the overflow of my heart something that orients itself back to God with gratitude? Are the desires of my heart something that when given expression, when embodied through my life, glorifies and honors God? Are the affections of my heart embodied, lived out in actionable ways? Like how many of you know like the most important people in my life, in your life, need more than the affection of our heart? They need the affection of our heart in embodied ways. Well, I know I didn't show up to pick you up from school, but the affection of my heart is I love you. We know that doesn't work. And we know that's actually painful. Because some of us, our parents forgot us a lot. And it was confusing because they told us the affection of their heart was we were the priority of their life, the love of their life. There was nothing they valued more. And yet in every moment, in every instance where there was opportunity for them to show up with the hands and feet of their bodies, they weren't there. And so it is with our worship. We can say we love God. But I wonder, will we show up and love God in the ways that God says, this is how you love me? I mean, God's a healthy person. So God will be like, you know, if you're in a, in a healthy relationship, they, they tell you what they need and what they like. That's a sign of health. God tells you what feels like love to God so that we can step into that and live lives of worship. Okay. Build a life of generosity. We've talked a ton about this, but build a life of generosity. Can we be people who are generous with what we have? I get it, times are tough, we might be hitting a recession. We wanna be good managers of our resources. And everyone, like I say this all the time, but we all like have side hustles. I grew up in like charismatic communities where everyone had what they called a profits room, which means an extra room for people to stay in when they needed a place to stay rent free. We all have Airbnbs. And it's really hard for people who need a place to stay to find a place to stay, even though there's no shortage of extra rooms in the community. 
And I'm not saying that's poor management of our resources. I am saying we need to evaluate the promptings of our heart to be generously sharing the resources we have with the community need around us. Because it's a way other than our own. It's a, it's a sufficiency other than our own. It's a more beautiful way of life. So would we make a life, a sanctuary in the shape of worship? Lastly, I'll say this. Would we build a life of relational solidarity? And what I mean by this is when God says, build me a tabernacle, he's talking about relational solidarity because it's a portable tent of worship. In other words, I'll go where you go and be with you wherever you are in whatever circumstance you're in. That's solidarity. I will suffer what you suffer in the midst of your suffering. By the way, that's good news for us. Part of the mystery of Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory is this. When you suffer, Christ is in you suffering. It's relational solidarity. Christ is with us. God is with us in that. God is with us in this space, in this community. Relational solidarity. I will be with you where you are. I will go with you where you go. I will suffer what you suffer. And I will provide what you need along the way. Would we, would we make ourselves into a life that says, I will go where God goes and be with God where God is, and I will suffer what God suffers, no matter what. Because this is a relationship. I'm dwelling with God. God is dwelling with me. The band can come. On these last few points, right, the gospel of John speaks to this. John chapter one, the, John says this, that, the, the, that Jesus, what? Tabernacled among us. I love it. The message says God moved into the neighborhood, right? God came and dwelled with us and among us. And so in relational solidarity, the church father said it this way, Christ became what we are that we might become what Christ is. It's a dwelling with God, relational solidarity, God with you and you with God. And of course, we see this with the abide in me in the, in the gospel of John, that I abide in God and God abides in me. And so my invitation, maybe my challenge for some is that would we make ourselves a tabernacle in this place, a sanctuary that welcomes the presence of God as the primary orientation of our lives or of our community gatherings? What if what we came with isn't the cynicism of, I'm not getting what I want here. And we changed the orientation of our hearts and I'm here for that, you can email me, I'm here for that. So I'm not dismissing that. But I would want to invite us to a different kind of orientation. That I'm here because God is worthy of something. That I can give to God here in this place together with these imperfect people. That is beautiful to God that is in a fragrant aroma to God, that is worship to God. Could we capture again? Yes, God is everywhere. And yes, Christ in you, dwelling in your heart.
and in mind. But could we capture again, could the symbol of the tabernacle be for us that God dwells in this space too, in powerful ways, in unique ways, in healing ways, that there's something special when we gather here that isn't anywhere else, that there's a presence of God here that isn't somewhere else. It's here when we gather together to orient our lives around making priority of worship. Are you with me? So you can stand. There's a few ways I think we could respond to this. You could put the giving slide up. I'm not giving more giving, but I do think one way you could respond is through giving. You could get in on this 90-day tithe challenge. You could give a one-time gift, but that you could just a little act of faith. You could say, man, I have a value for generosity, but you've never, you've never actually taken the leap. Would you take the leap? Would you take the risk? Would you maybe trust a sufficiency and a wisdom beyond your own this morning and try giving? Would you try the 90-day tithe challenge, recurring gifts, best way for us? We've got a worship night tonight. Reorient your priorities. The show you were gonna watch isn't that important. The meal you were gonna have, you can have it at another time. We look at it and we go, man, am I available tonight? Probably, actually you are. Some of us aren't and that's okay, bless you. You gotta put your kids to bed, you're in that stage of life. I get it, I've been there, bless you, no pressure. But for some of us, is this an orientation of priority? I just wanna eat that meal, I wanna go to that thing, I wanna be with you. But would you reorient and maybe come tonight and try? Try on worship in an extended way. Lastly, we have communion around this room. And communion is a way that we dwell with God and God dwells with us. It's the sharing. God shares God's life with us as we share God's life with God. And so there's communion all around. On the night Jesus dined with his closest friends and betrayed by one of them, he held up some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you, all your suffering, all God's suffering together in that bread broken and received together. Healing in that bread. And then he takes the cup of wine and he says, this cup of wine is the blood of a new covenant poured out for you, a covenant of love the forgiveness of sin. There's forgiveness for you. And some of us, maybe the first step this morning, the the real sort of response and reorientation our heart needs is just to simply receive God's forgiveness, to turn away from how we've been living and where we've been living and to turn towards the God who offers life and mercy and love. Amen. Bless you.